You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. So it is my pleasure to welcome Jennifer Carolyn to ETL today. An experienced teacher and education researcher, Jennifer now serves as managing director of the New School Seed Fund, which she co-founded to make investments in early-stage ed-tech companies with the potential for a big impact in K-12 education. To lead us in exploring Jennifer's insights in this area and to discuss maybe what it means to be part of a non-profit venture philanthropy fund, uh, I'm also privileged to welcome serial entrepreneur and our own Stanford Engineering Consulting Associate Professor, Steve Blank. Please help me welcome Jennifer and Steve up for ETL. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Steve. How are you? <laughs> Good. Great. Honored to be here. So, Jennifer, uh, we met uh, a long time ago, um, and uh, I thought maybe we'd start by you uh, maybe telling everybody how high were we when we met? <laughs> Oh, and some I of you are going, I what, I what kind there. of question is that? <laughs> Do you remember how high we were? <laughs> we were at 11,000 feet. <laughs> uh, we were at 11,000 feet. Make sure you note that to your parents. Okay. <laughs> where, where, where were we and when was it? I actually don't remember the year, but it was in Yosemite backcountry, yeah. High Sierra Camps. It was. We were, we were hiking across the, the High Sierra Camps, and I just would like everybody in our audience to know Jennifer was the first person ever to see drawn in the sand the beginnings of the lean startup when I was trying to explain it to anybody who would pass by, including these random people I didn't know. I was drawing it in the dirt with a stick. Uh, And in fact, it was you and your husband who, Mm -hmm. in fact, renamed it from market development to customer development. (laughs) So we've known each other for a while, but you've had a really interesting career. you know, you were a teacher for seven years, right? And then you came back to Stanford and got your MA in uh, teacher and curriculum development. Yep. And then you went off and, and joined a seed fund for, for education. What, what was that connection? How, how does a MA end up as a venture capitalist? Yeah. And- well, so, so on the, what, just a, a note on, on where we met in Yosemite. Um, I'm pretty certain that I wouldn't be doing this job today if, I, if we hadn't literally crossed paths you're in the back country of Yosemite, and you, you were on your mules. You and, he had his two daughters with him, and they were like, you guys literally were on mules. Right. And we were hiking in the back country. Because people have called me an ass before. So that's <laughs> what it was very appropriate. That. And it was my, my first kind of real exposure to the concepts of customer development and entrepreneurship. So it really sparked something in me um, in that experience. But to your question about how I, how I ended up here, yeah, a lot of people ask, how, how does a teacher end up running a venture a philanthropy fund? And I, I had taught for seven years, loved teaching, but felt I had plateaued and really wasn't uh, meeting the needs of my students uh, very teaching? well. I was teaching U.S. history, and then my last year, I actually taught, um, taught teachers differentiated instruction. And for what age groups? Uh, middle school and high school. Okay. So I um, felt like I had plateaued a bit, um, decided to go to grad school, came to Stanford, um, got my master's in curriculum and teacher development, and I started hanging out a little bit at the business school, and I saw Kim Smith speak, and she was the founder of, of New Schools Venture Fund, and she talked about 
this idea of hybrid teams, bringing educators together with um, MBAs and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial people and, and people that had more of a business and technical background. And I was really taken with her vision of, of there's a place for me in this, this world of um, entrepreneurship. So begged her for a job. Um, she hired me on as a part-time research assistant. And I worked there for, um, I've been there, this is my ninth year actually. And so after my, so really kind of learned how to do this job um, by um, shadowing, you know, basically like apprenticeship, shadowing um, the partners at the time. I had great mentors. And then three years, uh, three years ago, my friend and I, Wei, we actually launched this seed fund um, to formalize the structure of ed tech investing at new schools. So, so let's back up. You've, you've raised some really interesting questions. One is th this idea of Kim Smith had, what, nine, ten years ago or even, even further, that was something unique. I mean, what, what was the unique insight and what were people doing before and what changed after uh, New Schools Ventures? Sure. So um, she had this, so she founded New Schools with uh, Brooke Byers, venture capitalist, and um, John Doerr, another venture capitalist. And they came together and they thought, can we bring the venture model into education? And can we um, bring the kind of rigor and discipline of investing in early stage entrepreneurs and support them? But the, the difference between our model and a traditional venture fund is that um, we prioritize impact. So we are, um, we're looking for sustainable, scalable, strong businesses, companies, but we are, uh, above all else, prioritizing um, impact. So that was the first difference. So what does impact mean? Are you doing charter schools or software or yeah, teacher so, training? Um, we, we have this belief that there is sort of no silver bullet for education. So the answer is not charters or ed tech or teacher development, that it's really a complex system that requires um, entrepreneurial energy in all, across all of these different sectors. So we, we do invest um, grant money to nonprofit charter schools. We have close to 400 charter schools in our portfolio. Wow. Yeah, and we invest in um, teacher training programs, and then I focus on education technology investing through the seed fund. So really, could, so the, the idea of the fund covers mm -hmm. all these yeah. ways to change education, and mm -hmm. what you're focusing on is tech. Is that ed tech? Exactly. So, and so what's an ed tech? So we started investing in ed tech. When, so New Schools was founded 16 years ago, and we started, our first investment was actually Great Schools, which is still around great, a, a really great company. And we have always invested in ed tech. Um, but we started about three, four years ago, we started seeing some, some kind of differences out there in the funding environment. There was a lot more angel investing, and our schools were absorbing technology like never before. So we, we thought the time is right. Let's um, formalize this, this fund now. We moved our, our headquarter to, or our office to Palo Alto, um, and we started, um, started investing in, in seed stage EdTech. And I think EdTech is like a catch-all for um, you know, this intersection of education and technology companies. And it can be companies that are focused on students, that are focused on teachers, uh, most of our investing actually is, is targeted at teachers. Um, and, and you said, though, that one of the goals of New Schools was impact. Is that still true for the EdTech investing you, you make? Yeah, absolutely. Is it impact, or is it profit, or is it these 501c, uh, nonprofits? <laughs> or? Yeah, so uh, we have, 
so we're agnostic if it's nonprofit or for profit. Okay. So new schools will say, you know, what is the best way to get at the impact goals? Wait a minute, you're a venture fund that would fund a nonprofit? <laughs> I've sat on boards where I've decided they were nonprofits, but that was by accident, not on purpose. <laughs> so you actually fund them on purpose? We, we have some of those in our portfolio. <laughs> um, but at least you could say, oh, we, we meant you guys to be a nonprofit. No, uh, no, we actually have some for profits that are. That are, non, that are closer to nonprofits. But you can make that decision on day one as a fund that these are something that's worth funding. Yeah, in yeah, and I think that's what's unique about this space is that we have amazing nonprofits in this space Khan Academy, CK12, ReadWorks, that are strong, scalable, sustainable um, nonprofits, but we have them side by side, um, you know, top tier venture backed um, ed tech companies that we co invest with. So we are, you know, again, it goes back to this idea that there is like no one single solution. It's a, it's a complex system that requires like, you know, we need hardware in the schools, but we also need software that teachers can use and that students can use. And these things work together. Um, and we kind of see, that's what I think is really unique about new schools is that we see this whole system. We touch all different parts of it and we, we can see where the needs are. So. Our um, fund is really need-driven, thesis-driven. So we ask our teachers, we ask our school leaders, you know, what's preventing you from, um, what's preventing your students from reaching high levels of student achievement? And then they will tell us, this is what we need. We need a better way for teachers to share lesson plans. We need a better way for students, for teachers to be trained on the spot. And we will go out looking for those solutions. So before we go through some of those solutions, which yeah. I want to hear about, you said something earlier that I thought was really interesting, is that the adoption of new technologies has accelerated in the last couple of years in, mm -hmm. in schools. Is that, is that true? Absolutely, and yeah. What is, what's driving that? Or is it, is it legislation? Is it iPads? Is it something? Is it it's now time where the students have more tech than the schools have? I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few factors. I think yeah. one is that I would say this ed tech revolution has been led by the teachers. And they are the ones adopting these solutions, bringing them into their classrooms and using them. That's a big idea. Why, why do you think that is? Well, 40% of U.S. teachers, um, and there's 4 million U.S. teachers, wow. um, are under the age of 30. So they're young. Wow. They've, they've grown up with, with technology. I see. And this is the way, you know, they're banking online, they're shopping online, they come to school and they get, you know, in most schools, this is what you get: your file cabinet, your textbook, and your you know your paper grader. And they're saying, you know, no way. We want uh, technology tools that are, that are as good as our consumer technology tools. So that's a big change, right? Yeah. So yeah. teacher driven because they're, the outside world for them is computerized, and they're yes. going back into something that looks like the little house on the prairie schoolhouse. <laughs> right? Is that? Yeah. And what else? Any, any impact of uh, legislation or, or no child left behind, or is that all orthogonal to what's driving? No, some? it's not. It's, you know what, actually, this is, so three years ago when we started this fund, what was really a driver of the change was um, the budget cuts, actually and the, the severity of the budget cuts, and they were faced with, do I, you know, you know one of our schools that we funded, KIPP LA, uh, do we not open the school or do we open it with more technology and a greater student-teacher ratio? Um, so that was, that was, you know, that's been one driver of getting, of getting the technology into the schools. Um, 
and then there, there is a lot more devices, right? Like there's 9 million iPads in US K-12 schools. Whoa. We have 2,000 schools are one-to-one -one now, and we expect that number to be close to 100% of schools to be one-to-one. -one, what, what does that mean? What? Sorry, I fall into the education lingo. Um, one device per child. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. You mean they assign somebody an iPad? Yeah, so when you, when you register with school, you get your textbook, you get your iPad, you get your... Um, and who pays for those devices? It varies. So um, sometimes the schools pay, sometimes the parents pay. Um, some of the funding for this is being covered by um, Title I funding for, for low-income schools. That's, that's, that, that, wow, that's really interesting. And, and have the entrepreneurs changed in the 16 years, or are they the same? Their motivations or their technology or their goals, or are they the same that you've seen? Yeah, thankfully, they've changed a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, that technology used to come to come into schools. Um, innovation came, you know, with a car, in a car. You know, so the salesperson would drive up and have some CD-ROMs and show the IT specialist. You know, there's Oregon Trail or, or whatever the software was, and the IT specialist would... Um, Purchase that that technology with often without talking to teachers and without having any data on the efficacy of this product, and then they would roll it out to the teachers, kind of you know top down, force teachers to use it, and that that's the way technology was um, was what came to our schools in the 90s. But now, thankfully, um, the way it's happening is that that these teachers are adopting the technology into their classroom. They're using it. They're understanding how it works with their students. They're getting efficacy data, doing kind of mini research in their own classrooms, and then they will kind of pitch their school leader to purchase the software license. Wow, that's yeah, that's a huge. real shift. It's it, huge. It's like the difference between PCs entering the corporation versus mainframes being yeah. controlled by a single department and yeah. a CIO. Yeah, same ideas like consumerization of of IT, right? Like. That's a great insight. And, and, but have the entrepreneurs themselves changed? I mean, do they all have the same vision that they had in the 90s? Or are they more savvy, less savvy, same problems, different problems? Um, so, yeah, you saw two of them up yeah. there. Um, I mean, I'm biased, of course, but I think, I think they're amazing. Like, these, these entrepreneurs are... We have more entrepreneurs coming from um, uh, engineering and from um, the consumer tech sector coming into education. So the first guy that you saw... You mean, saw, wait a minute, you don't stop them at the door and send them away? <laughs> so if there's some engineering students and some tech entrepreneurs, you'll let them actually go pitch No, we or? welcome them with open arms. We love them in, in education, love them. So um, the, the Krishna, he, he has students now, or he has students, he has children yeah. that are in school, and he wanted his kids to to be able to, to learn coding, computer science early on. So that's why he had built... Um, tinker, but he had two successful companies in consumer tech prior. And he then decided to go into ed tech because mm -hmm. he had kids. Yeah. And yeah. Is that it's sometimes common. a motivation for? Absolutely, yeah. And roughly across our portfolio, we have 46 ed tech companies in our portfolio, and 45% of them have been founded by teachers. Interesting. So tell yeah. me about the portfolio and tell me about the types of deals you see. And in fact, yeah. let me ask the canonical question. How many uh, deals do you look at or get pitched or get, get thrown over the transom a week? Yeah, so this I think we're really lucky because New Schools has been around for 16 years and has a, has a name and presence in the space. 
So we get 20 to 30 companies coming in our pipeline per week. A week. That's a week, about yeah. 1,000 to 1,500 a year. Yeah. Do you read them all? Um, no, <laughs> not anymore. So, so, <laughs> I used so, to. So what's the first, give me the characteristic for anybody watching or here. What is kind of a good first order pass for an ed tech deal to be looked at? for you and new schools? So like the space or Both the, the space and the entrepreneur and then and how do they, then we'll ask, you know, what's your email address so they can email you personally, but, yeah. but no, we My won't email's on LinkedIn, <laughs> it is open, it's yep. out there. But, but first of all, the space, what do you currently look at? How do you sure. kind of sort through these thousand to 1500 as a, as a venture capitalist, but a venture capitalist in a very specialized niche? Yeah. What should people be watching or listening think about when they're thinking about pitching a deal? Sure. So we focus on K-12 first. So education market covers kind of pre-K through higher ed. We, we focus on, on K-12. Um, and then we were thesis driven. So we've identified some of these problems, which I mentioned earlier. Um, what are they again? Yeah. So these are, these are problems mostly identified by our schools that we are investing around. But, but I also want to say that we are not dogmatic about following our um, investment areas because I'm continually surprised by our entre the entrepreneurs that come through our doors right. and show us what they are doing with technology. And that is, um, you know, so we're open to breakthrough innovations that entrepreneurs bring us. But what are the theses? Okay, so the theses are, um, I think first is that we, we focus on underserved populations. So we are looking at companies that are going to um, service special education students, English language learning students, first generation college going students. Um, so these are areas that have been terribly underserved in the past. So the tools that teachers have in these areas, which are heavily um, compliance driven, are just terrible. So we are looking for innovation in those, in those sectors. Give us some examples. Okay, so for, our, actually our first, our first investment out of the seed fund was a company called Goldbook. And this, this guy is amazing, Daniel Yu. And he was a Oracle um, coder, developer. And then he became a special education teacher in Ravenswood. So he had this really unique mix of engineer and teacher. And so he had coded up a solution for teachers to create um, individualized education plan goals for um, their students. So in if you are a special education child, you have these IEP goals. Um, and they're, which means what? Which are goals that um, the teachers and the parents and all the, the people that are supporting that right. child are working towards. So, so everyone's on the same page. He automated the process. Exactly. So he yeah. automated that process. But he also brought great research into it. So he infused this, um, uh, this research coming out of Boston into the, the goal so, making. So that's an example. One, one thesis, the special education yeah. underserved community. Next thesis. So another thesis is tools to help teachers differentiate learning. What does that mean? Boy, so, that sounds like an education phrase. Yeah, so, um, so differentiation is actually the number one topic of professional development requested by teachers and has been since the, the early 90s. So um, basically the idea is that our school system is one size fits all, ah. that we are in a mass production school system. We kind of batch kids through, through our school system, which worked really well when we were preparing kids for um, factories during the industrial age, but now we have demands of a very high-skilled high economy, and that does not work anymore. So the idea is we're moving closer to personalized learning, and differentiation is a set of strategies that a teacher would use to help personalize um, instruction for children. So instead in of classroom. breaking them in separate classes, it's how does one teacher 
actually personalize the content for a exactly. mixed class of exactly. mixed learners. So just give you a real quick example on that one. There's a company we funded called Newzella, and they bring current events into the classroom. So they have partnerships with like New York Times and Washington Post, and they bring great journalism into the classroom, but they level it five different Lexile reading levels for students. You lost me. They do what? So um, <laughs> they level the, the, the article. So you, there's an article that oh, you're see. getting they, from New York they Times. They kind of rank the complexity of the article? Exactly. Right. So okay. they're, they're, there's actually a standard Lexile, it's called. Okay. And you can, le you can um, level any text for different reading abilities. I see. So the idea is that all students in the class can engage in the, the same, same article. article, whereas before, you know, they would split kids up and then you'd have you know, names like, this is the Bluebird group, and they're reading like really interesting text. And then you have the you know, buzzards that are reading you know, C-Spot Run because they're struggling readers. And it's very stigmatizing to kids. And the idea now is that you can engage in the same article, and then they can have a discussion around it. So that's it. another thesis. Yeah, right. yeah. So okay. that's a differentiating okay. instruction. Um, then we're really focused on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. So we're trying to build this, the STEM pipeline. For K um, through 12. Yeah. And examples? Tinker of, was one of them. The coding. It. We have three coding companies in our portfolio. Tinker, CodeHS, and uh, CodeNow, which is a nonprofit. Got it. Another thesis, or is that those um, So then we have underserved um, STEM. We do a lot of digital. Oh, big data. Big data is a, a, a actually really important one. So this is basically tools that extract data from... Um, students le student learning, and provide a really nice visual dashboard for teachers or decision makers um, that are making decisions about a child's placement or even like what they're going to learn tomorrow. Um, and we have uh, four or five companies in that portfolio. So this is decision management for exactly. administrators and teachers exactly. to be more effective about utilization of teaching resources. And yeah. Okay. Got it. And so uh, were those kind of the general? Yeah. So how many companies a year do you fund? So we fund um, 12, 12 to 14 so, companies. So let's see. Let me do the math. That's about 100 to 1. Yeah. Right? So for every 100 plans you see, you fund one. Yeah. All right. So I see somebody in the back writing up 100 plans right now. <laughs> right? So you, you and, and what's the filter? How do you kind of decide? I mean... How do they get, is it personal introductions, or what's the best way for your fund to connect to an entrepreneur? Yeah. So, so there is, there's easy ways to reach anyone at new schools. You can, we do have, my email is on LinkedIn and, and available, and, and people do email us directly. I get at least one or two uh, per day um, from Do you ever fund any of those? Um, we have funded one. One. We have okay. funded one of them. So what's yeah. the more effective way? <laughs> Other <laughs> than actually, spam you. It was you a with... really awesome company, Bright Bites, right. and it, the MIT guys. Um, so you never awesome knew them company. before. It was a cold email. It was just cold email. Yeah. So one out of a couple hundred. <laughs> All right. yeah. But but what's the other way that they should get a hold of your fund? <laughs> so usually they come in through warm introduction through. Um, so entrepreneurs are a great pipeline of referrals of companies. So they should be spamming your portfolio. 
right? That is <laughs> right for an intro. Is that what you're suggesting? Is they should be meeting the CEOs? That is one of, way. Yes. Right? And, yes. And so, but that's just a natural way that venture capitalists t- tend to. Filter. Yeah, I mean, it's not that that different, I guess. Than, right. It, than it's other that if someone vouches for someone that says this is an interesting company or this is a great entrepreneur. Is yeah, that- you listen up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we really do try to be open because we believe that you know, especially in education, some of these great ideas are coming from teachers that are toiling away in their classrooms and building solutions. Yeah. And they may not be connected to anyone in Silicon Valley. So we want to find them too. And so, so the standard model for certainly here at Stanford and, and if somebody's you know, watching online or listening to the podcast mm-hmm. is you know, everything needs to be a billion dollar company. Is, is that the goal of these ed tech companies? If, do they need to come in and prove to you that they're going to get 20 million students in year one? And then yeah. Or is there a different model for what you Actually, you've yeah, I, um, no, they don't. So because we prioritize impact, ah, we're so, not looking for... So say that part again. Because we prioritize impact. Big deal. So you're not yeah. looking for the little graph that looks exponential like Facebook, though you wouldn't throw them out. Right, right. Because right. there's, you know, there's a reason why that, that data is going up and to the right, and so right. we want to understand why. But I actually looked this up um, just today, that there's been 11 ed tech companies since um, I think it was 1998 that are considered like ed tech unicorns, billion dollar valuations. But that's, but that's not what you're looking small number, for. Yeah. And, and so what do you look for when they talk about you know, scale and business yeah. or whatever? So besides a great idea and you think it's interesting, what are the other things you're kind of filtering on? Yeah, I think that you know, this is one of the things that we have gotten, we're, we make a lot of mistakes too, I should say, that like, we, I don't feel like I have, you know, um, some magic, you know, see into the future that all these companies are going to be successful. Because, are you sure you're a venture capitalist? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are coming in at the earliest stages when they're, these ideas are raw. Like yeah. many times they are just a feature, they're an idea. Because it's a seed fund. Yeah, because yeah, we're at the top of the funnel. It's a, it's a seed fund. So um, we're doing a lot. So I think like the most important thing that we're looking for is... Um, authenticity. So is this person authentically driven to solve a problem? And that authenticity could look lots of different ways, right? Like it could be a teacher that was like Daniel, that was, um, you know, faced a problem in his classroom, and so he built a solution for it. We have a great company called No Red Ink. This, this, um, this teacher in Chicago, actually, Chicago, he was at a Chicago public high school, and he was tired of grading papers. And so he found a developer on, on Craigslist, and he actually created this, this solution, No Red Ink. So he, you know, he was very authentic. Like, here's a guy that's just like, driven to solve a problem. So we are looking for the, what is driving them to, to, to start this company. Is it authentic? And then we're looking for courage, too. Like, starting a company is, as you know, Steve, intimately, that it's, it takes a lot of Courage and or stupidity, <laughs> one of the two, right? <laughs> yeah, we're looking for the, the courage side of that spectrum. So. I never would have gotten funded. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so courage, authenticity, um, and then and impact then so, on the specific theme. Yeah, that, kind of aligned to one of those one of those themes. And that do you we're give them some on? examples? Is there stuff on your website they should look at or? Uh, we have a link to steveblank.com. That we, we, um, <laughs> I was thinking about is a list of your portfolio companies up there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and so what mistakes do, do the people you fund in EdTech 
not just the ones to get into you, but the ones that actually are funded. Do you see some common mistakes of entrepreneurs? Yeah, yeah we do. Um, it's, it's, this is an interesting one because I think it's two sides of the same coin. We see, we see companies that don't think of themselves as, as technology companies. So they think of themselves as an education company. They have a lot of great former teachers that are starting this company. Um, but then I say, you know, where's your, where's your tech team? Where's your developers? And I say, oh, you know, we, we uh, outsource that to wherever. And we built our product, and now we're going to sell it. And, you know, that, that is sort of a red flag to us because that, that harkens back to the, the technology of ed tech of the 90s where they, you know, build this product, and then they just blow up this huge sales force and just go sell it to schools. And then the, the and product... And what's wrong with that? Well, the product wouldn't have literally, like, would go, you know, 10 years and not be changed and not be improved. And they, could, they can't respond to user needs. They, they can't, they're not getting out of the building and, and talking to their, their, um, their, their teachers. So you want to see a whole team? Uh, both so I want to see a hybrid team of, of educators and technologists. Great. Yeah. What other mistakes do you, do you see in EdTech? Yeah, so on the flip side of that is sometimes we see heavy technology teams that don't have any educators in the... Um, in the, the leadership team. Mm -hmm. And I see you know, those, are, those are problematic too because I, th I think it is really beneficial to have somebody that understands schools and education deeply to, mm -hmm. to be helping guide the company. Um, and then I'd say like maybe one other big, big uh, mistake com companies make is that they, because there's so many teachers adopting these products and they're the ones that are really driving the attraction, that they build this product for the teacher but then forget that the payer is the administrator and that there's a whole different set of processes and, and needs that, that administrators have. So, so that's interesting. So you mean they kind of confuse that there might be a multi-sided market and dealing with yeah. users and payers? Yeah. Right? And, and, and that they might actually know that the users are passionate, but there might as well be a nonprofit because the payers don't care? Is that? Yeah, that, I, I would... Characterize it like that, yeah. They, um, there's, there's a lot of companies that have figured this out and have done a really amazing job of, of capitalizing on this like user base right. and actually um, using these teachers to kind of upsell to principals and administrators. I think Wikispaces has done a really but good that, job. But is your point that that should be a strategy, not, a, not an accident? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Um, and and of, without naming names, are there some spectacular failures that you now kind of think back to, and I don't, you know, no, everybody likes to bury their dead and leave them dead, but that <laughs> you wish you knew, you know, what you now know about, I, I should have seen these happen and that are yeah. kind of education specific? Yeah, there's, there's yeah, definitely, <laughs> I've got some of those in, in our, um, I'm say in our portfolio, but um, there's, a, there's one that I think that, it really frustrates me that I, we invest in this company because this is one of those, like I mentioned, like you learn this job by doing. You learn it by making mistakes and you learn it by, by seeing lots of companies and by, by actually doing the work. And this one company that we invested in, this is, this is early on, um, they, the cap table I, I sort of didn't look at closely enough. Cap table is? The cap, uh, capitalization table that basically says who owns the company, okay. you know, how the shares are divided. And what I didn't realize is that the, the, the founder, um, his share of the company was actually like super small. And he'd come out of this incubator, this accelerator, that owned most of the equity of the company. 
So he, he basically felt like, you know, hired help to run this company. Mm. And it played out that way. So. so what would you do different now or what do you do different? I, I look very closely at the cap table. Okay. I try to understand who all those people are and cousins and uncles on the, on the cap table. And, and then I, um, I think it goes back to like data, like, like pattern recognition and you, you get better at um, looking for that authenticity in So in the you want the founder engaged and yeah, the ability to- Yeah, like this has to... gotta be his, he's, he or she, he's, they're going to create this company with or without us, no matter what, they feel strong conviction for this company. So that's what, you know, it's one of the most important things that we look for. Good. Uh, and, and any other lessons that were expensive or interesting? Um, they're ongoing, so many. You know, yeah, I think there's another one that I learned that is um, that I sort of projected my vision for a company onto, onto this company. And I was so excited about this vision. And it was really like, when I think about it, it was my vision. It was not this founder's vision. And so we just sort of had, there was a lot of friction there. Interesting. In the direction the company should go. And, and let me just kind of close this with uh, trying to understand the context of your fund in the mm -hmm. funding ecosystem. You're a seed fund, right? Mm -hmm. And that implies what in, for additional funding? Where do you fit and what happens in a successful path for us? Yeah, so we're, we're a very active ed tech seed fund. So we were the, the number one um, most active ed tech funder the last two years. So what does seed mean? So first, generally it means first money in. Sometimes it's after an accelerator and incubator. So we are um, pre-Series A investor. And, and is that like $5,000 or $500,000? So our um, ticket size is usually like one fifty to 200000 Ticket size, is that VC yeah. speak for something? Is that? Yeah, investment. Investment is how much? Um, one fifty to two hundred thousand. Great. So that is a seed round, enough to get you started. And what do you expect them to do but with we, that money? We co-invest with with other angels. I see. So how much is the? Total? You so this is interesting. So when we first started the seed fund, average seed rounds were about seven hundred and fifty. Okay. In EdTech, and now they're about one point five million. And what do you expect a startup to do with a one and a half million dollar seed round? So our companies, we we bucket them into to three categories, yeah. and one is you're going to get to sustainability on your seed, seed round alone. Wow. So Goldbook is a company um, that, that achieved um, profitability on a million dollars. So sustainability dollars. means make more money than you're spending. Is that yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. That's bucket one. Um, second bucket would be you're, you're a good candidate for foundation or um, other type of impact financing for follow-on. So you're not VC profile, right. but you, there may be impact investors. Like? Um, Gates or other? yeah, Gates, Gates Foundation, Dell or? Foundation. Got it. There's a lot of angel investors that are interested kind of impact. In, in impact. Yeah. And then the third. And the third is you're you're getting ready for a VC round of financing. And a, VCs are actually interested in this space. Yeah, very very much so. So uh, last year there was 452 million invested in in K12 ed tech. In one company? Uh, <laughs> across across, across uh, a number of different companies. But yeah, there's like um, Bessemer is in, um, Kleiner Perkins. We've co-invested with Excel is in two of our companies. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few. Great. And, and so they go then down the traditional venture path. Yes. How interesting. Yeah. And, and so what would you tell um, entrepreneurs who are interested in ed tech? Um, 
today? What should they do? And, you know, or why should anybody be interested in EdTech, those who haven't even given much thought about, about this area? Yeah, I, I think that um, this, is such, um, a, this is such an important um, sector, such an important area, as all of us you know, sitting here at Stanford know, um, that we have our education system is, is, really, um, is really suffering right now, especially for the um, low-income um, students. So in our, in our country, that if, you, if your parents did not graduate from um, high school, then the chances are that you will get to get to college and get through college are about 5%. And in other wow. industrialized countries, that's 23%. So education, which used to be this amazing escalator of opportunity for, for people in the United States, is especially um, those in lower income people, it's not, it's not the case anymore. And um, yeah, there's lots of stats that I can, I can tell you around that, but it's, it, you know, I think it's, it's ripe for innovation and the time is now to be, to be building ed tech companies. So is, is, is the way to think about this is the, if there's more to life than 140 characters, you should be thinking about giving yeah. back in, in ed tech. Yes. I mean, there's nothing wrong with social media, but this actually affects people's lives a little differently than, than other things you could be doing with your time. Uh, yeah. And by the way, you mentioned U.S. Is that where your funding is? Is the focus on just U.S. ed tech companies? You know, we're being drawn more and more outside the U.S., but we've invested in two um, Canadian companies. And we um, are uh, across the portfolio, about 15% of users that are using the um, companies, the products, are um, outside of the U.S. Will you look at deals outside the yes, U.S.? Yes, definitely. Oh, definitely. oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and so you seem to be like committed to this, is that? Yeah. And, and why, personally? Yeah. If, um, I mean, you now have enough, you know, like points in the game to kind of go to any venture fund. <laughs> why are you doing this one? You know, I think it, it, if I were to sort of play armchair psychologist with myself and think why am I drawn to this space, I think it goes back to um, I grew up in outside of Chicago and I uh, grew up in a suburb, Glen Ellen, and it was a western suburb and very middle class community. And my sophomore year, we uh, moved into the city, and I went to Chicago Public High School. And it was just, it was, you know, just vastly different experience in the quality of education. Better or worse? Uh, a lot worse, a lot worse. So you know, long term subs, just um, the teachers were not high quality. Um, the, the, just the opportunity that was offered to the kids are, is not the same. So uh, we moved back the, the following year into the suburbs, but I consider that year like uh, a real gift in my life and in understanding that opportunity um, is so important for, for, for people. And, and schools, our, our education institutions are incredibly important to make that opportunity happen. So I, you know, I think human potential is everywhere. It's not just in Palo Alto and Silicon Valley. And we need to make sure that we have schools that can really tap into um, people's potential. So it sounds like you're on a mission. <laughs> you could say that. So is there anything I should have asked you? <laughs> what question did you wish I would have asked? No, we can maybe open it up to. We see will, what but they no, want. no, no. You're blushing already, so there must be a question. <laughs> you're either 
happy I didn't ask. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or, or you wish I did. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I think maybe the, the this path may sound like it's been oh easy. I kind of you know was a teacher, and then I popped in to see Kim Smith, and then I went to new schools, and now I'm investing in education. And but it, it's been you know it's been um, it's been a steep and long learning curve for me. And when I came into new schools, I was a, a researcher, and I didn't have an MBA. And I was surrounded by these Harvard and Stanford MBAs who would talk about leverage and value proposition and level five leadership and all of this fancy MBA talk. And I was so intimidated they by it. They didn't know what it meant either, so don't worry. <laughs> but now I Now, now I, you use now those I words. Use that. I, you know, I'll, I'll drop leverage a couple times a day now. Um, uh, a couple more times this talk. So, um, so I think that, you know, I was, and I did feel when I first started at New School, so this is my ninth year, like very intimidated by, by that. And I guess like if I could give, you know, as you guys don't need advice, but if, if, if I could offer something that I took away from this experience is that to value what you bring to the table and value your skills and what your experience and what you have done. Because I feel, I feel like I undervalued my education experience. Um, I, has, I was the, the only teacher at, at New Schools at the time that you know, had taught more than two years that was a non-TFA teacher. And I didn't, I feel like I didn't, didn't, I didn't value that enough in myself. And it turns out you were the only one who actually knew anything in the <laughs> building. So, so I think that's a, that is a great way to kind of end the conversation. But um, um, I want to thank you for your, for your time. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned a lot. And so mm -hmm. thank you, Jennifer. Thanks. So uh, do you want to take some, some questions yeah, from the audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, questions? Yeah. Do we have a mic, or uh, we're going to just do this? If you could repeat the question. Um, in working in the field, how have you seen companies looking towards making their product have a large impact because technology is so expensive? Have there been any innovative ways that they look towards getting this across a wide breadth of people in schools that don't have the private school or charter school funding? That yeah. Have? Okay, the question was, how can you grow your company um, inexpensively? Is that right? Um, well, so now things have changed, and there's great ways. There's distribution channels into schools. So we have the App Store, which teachers use um, on the iPads. There's 9 million iPads in, in our schools. We have um, the uh, Google Chromebooks, the Google Play for Education Store. There's Edmodo um, App Store. So I think that that is a good first sort of first line of getting your app out there and um, seeing you know, getting your feedback and, and growing from there. I mean, I'm amazed, actually, that some of these companies, they put their app up there, and they grow. Like Class Dojo this is a fantastic company. Class Dojo um, spent zero dollars on marketing and grew to you know, 45 million students. Just through so, the App Store? Um, yeah, and having like a, they have a blog, and they have some social media presence, but mainly through Without these things. Without yeah, word of mouth. driving The other thing them. is that teachers, word of mouth, teachers love to tell each other about great products, and they will. And so there's, there's a natural virality in, in uh, education. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Right there. Do you find any mental health or emotional health companies related to students? Uh, the question is, is social emotional learning or social emotional health? Mental health, emotional health. 
Yeah, we, we're looking into that more and more, actually. We're doing diligence on a company right now in that space. So I think it's, it's, um, it's really important, and we know that those, those qualities are, are, are you know, predictive of, of student success in lots of different ways. So yeah, there's, there's more and more companies out there in the space. Okay, next. Yes. Um, how do you justify to your clients investing in nonprofits? And also, can you give us some examples of ways to measure your impact? Sure. So how, the question is, how do we justify nonprofits uh, investment in nonprofits? Yeah, it's a good question. So we um, have invested or granted money, I should say, out of this seed fund to six nonprofits, and uh, because we do not we do not return. We do not provide returns back to our um, limited partners. So the money that comes into us to invest is a philanthropic capital. It's donations. So, it, so you use the profits to kind of evergreen the fund? Meaning exactly. reinvest in, in more companies? Exactly. So we've had several exits, some recently. Engrade we had this year, Wireless Generation, Carnegie Learning, um, Blend, Blend Space. And profits from those returns are recycled back into the fund, which we then happily invest in other entrepreneurs. But you had a second, second question. Oh, how do we measure impact? Um, lots of different ways. So we care about, we collect um, metrics from our companies every quarter. And we care about retention. Retention is very important for us. Um, our, our teachers using these products. Um, we measure net promoter scores of the products. Um, we look at student achievement gains when we can. Okay. Next question. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, I just wonder, do you ever take input from different education models in different countries? Um, um, yeah, so the que oh, question is, do we look at other education models um, in other parts of the world and yeah. take that into account when we're thinking about our investments? Uh, so, yeah, I was in uh, China two years ago visiting the schools in Chengdu. So we do, we do look, we should do more of it, but we do look at other models. And we certainly look at the international rankings of, of schools, um, student achievement across the countries. Okay. Other questions? How come this side of the room hasn't asked anything? Are you, you guys are like all in detention in school? Or, uh, there we go. All right, this is kind of close to that side, yes. <laughs> Uh, what sort of things would you like to see, assuming you had like any power in Congress, in terms of education reform, based on your own experiences? Yeah, that's a good question. What was the question? The question is, if we had um, endless bank account to, to change education or to, to reform education, what would we do? I think I would, I would want to move us away from this system that is based on essentially seat time. So you kind of move through the system grade by grade um, and move it to a mastery-based system so that it's based on you mastering different concepts and you're moving more fluidly through the system. Um, I think it's this, this system that we have right now based on, on seat time is very constraining to schools. Does anybody Students. run that experiment? Yeah, there are schools that are um, doing mastery-based learning. Where you can yep. spend variable time in, in the school? Well, you spend, you kind of work through a set of objectives at right. your own pace, right? And so if you, like, finish it fast, you're out. And if you're not that fast, you're still there. Yeah, I'm not sure what happens when you finish all of the, right. the, the uh, objectives if you're actually out. But 
Um, there's schools in Alaska that I know they're doing a lot of work on that front, and um, there's there's lots of schools around here too that are more tech enabled. I think that's a big one, um, and just the the way that teachers are trained and the way that teachers are like I was yeah, I went to the the School of Education, and if you go into that Coverly Library, you see that all of these like research journals, hundreds of research journals, which essentially hold all the secrets to how we best teach kids. And that, those are inaccessible to, to teachers that are in the classrooms teaching students. It's just ridiculous in this day and age of technology that, that teachers are not given access to the latest research on how best to teach students. Sounds like a startup in there. Yes. Right? We'll fund that. We'll fund that one right there. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Yes. Right there. Um, so, so I was just curious, what exactly are your firm's specific goals? Um, you talked about um, mastery education. I was curious, um, mm -hmm. what else would you like to see? Um, what, what end goals do you want to see achieved in the uh, student United States education system? Yeah, so, so there's... Um, so the goals are... The, oh, so he was asking, the, what, what are our firm's goals? Yeah. What are new schools' goals? Um, our mission is to transform public education through passionate ideas, um, powerful ideas and passionate entrepreneurs, um, especially for the most underserved kids. And so we are, we're, we are really focused on this achievement gap, which has gotten worse and worse over time. So since the 1960s, there has been um, the gap between affluent and poor students has grown by 40, point, 40 points. And now it is double that of the achievement gap between black and white. Um, so you know, Wait a minute, say that last part again. So class is now important, more important than race absolutely. in and that, U.S. That, educational yes, attainment? Really? Yes, and the research has Whoa, been done by you Sean. You ought to like, think about that for a second. That's a big piece yeah. of data. And, and it's, the research has been done by um, professor at Stanford, Sean Reardon. And yeah, it is more of that a predictor now. That class is more important than absolutely. race in, in educational success. Predictor of educational success is Which also is a predictor level. of income. Yes. Wow. And, what is scary is that now 48% of, of students in our nation's public schools are eligible for free and reduced lunch. So almost half of our kids, and it's majority in some areas of the South, are um, eligible for free and reduced lunch, which is a proxy for low income. Wow. Yeah. Those race and class are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So I mean, That's right. one yeah. can define the other one. So does that piece of information tell you? <coughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can see that, so the, the, there's a great piece in the New York Times about this, actually, that, um, that, it, that talks about, so has a bunch of was, graphs, uh, was race and income are not mutually exclusive, right. yes. But they're not um, completely overlapping either. Right. That's, that's the surprise. Other, other questions? Ah, so that's like, you get to ask two, because you're, you're representing <laughs> the entire side of that auditorium. Oh. Yeah, just building what you mentioned about goals, would you be supportive of goals that, uh, you know, such as like online education replacing physicality in schools altogether, would you be supportive or would you endorse those goals like, you know, I complete my entire high school requirements online or my university requirements online and yeah. save on so much money building physical schools and maintaining them, would you be supportive of those goals? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. question so is, the question is, would we be supportive of... Um, Virtual 100%, yeah, 100% online education, virtual schools. So it's an area that we're looking into uh, quite a bit now because it's the fastest growing subpopulation of schools in the U.S. now. 
and it's growing 11, the best research that I have um, tapped into is 11%. It grew last year, and, and um, it's growing almost twice as fast as charter schools. So um, it is a very important, um, a very important sector to think about. We have not made many investments in that, any investments actually in that space. We have made space in, uh, investments in blended learning models that are still focused on teachers being the coordinator of learning in the classroom. But you know, there, there are a lot of, um, just to be honest here, there's a lot of bad providers in that virtual learning space. K12.com um, is one of them, it's a billion dollar company. And we would love to see some disruption of the, the, um, the dominant players in that space. And, and why are they not optimal? Um, their results are bad. Their, their results around helping students learn, when you look at student achievement results, are, are then not why, good. Then why are they dominant? I think that there's, they're, they're the market leader, and there's so few alternatives right now. And kids are opting out of the traditional school system and are going totally online. So it sounds like you're asking for some business plans in this area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, 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 is, that that would be looked at kindly if people were yeah. pitching you those ideas. It's right? a hard space to get into because you have to create a very comprehensive product. It's not like um, some of the other products that you can kind of wedge into with a, with a little product, a little MVP. Like you actually really need a comprehensive soup to nuts um, product that you're providing, and that's difficult to create. That's, yeah, it's, it's okay. hard. So we have time for one or two best questions. Okay. <laughs> All the way in the back. No, that's you. So, no, 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 don't defer to the guy. Yeah, yeah smack him. He like interrupted you. <laughs> Unless you're related to him. Then, <laughs> Right. <laughs> then smack them twice. <laughs> After you make the investment in a company, what does your relationship with them look like? How long do they remain in the portfolio? How do you continue to support the founders? Yeah, that is a good, good question. The question is, once, they're in the once we make the investment, how do we support these companies? So um, we, do, we, we believe that we have a hands-on um, role with these companies after we've invested in them. And so we, um, they're seed companies, so they don't necessarily have a board. Most of them don't have a board. Uh, I am on, on seven boards, though, of companies that have now you know, grown up and are, have raised their Series A and, and um, invited me to the board. So we, we actually we have a set of supports that we provide. Actually, our director of portfolio supports is here. She's, she's in the back, Eva. And we, we have some kind of scalable support. So we have great strategic partnerships with Google and Apple and Edmodo um, that we're able to support our companies through. Um, there's a lot of um, kind of inter-portfolio um, convenings that we do. We bring our portfolio together. They share best practices with each other. Um, we do a lot of, you know, I'm constantly texting and, and talking with our companies on, on different problems that they're having. So. We, we support them in, in very kind of traditional ways that a, a seed fund would, but I think that we bring an education lens and we have a great network um, in the education space, and we have almost 400 schools that we that we are close to. And I've seen this; it's an amazing, uh, uh, amazing interaction support. Yeah, we held right. it at Steve's Who has house. a quick best question? Okay, quick best <laughs> question, right there. So, in the last few years, there's been a lot of 
um, concern about the costs of technology in terms of shortened attention spans and distractibility. There's actually an interesting quick. What's the question? Not the lecture. What's the question? In the New York Times that. Well, what's the question? Seriously, we're running out of time. What's the question? What is? What's your opinion on the downside of technology? Right. Uh, particularly in light of like all all school uh, children being issued. Yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> question was like, what are the downsides of tech? So. Um, we have focused our investing on schools, institutions, and really focused on teachers. So we haven't, ha I don't mean to dodge the question, but we haven't really had to deal with um, the early, the very earliest ages, you know, zero through five of children using technology. And there's, there's definitely, um, there's more and more research out there. There's, there's recommendations from the American Pediatric Association about screen time and things like that. Um, but, you know, I have three kids of my own, and I can tell you that this is really hard. Like, we vacillate between, you know, giving our kids iPads so we can get something done to, um, you know, to, like, like banning technology for, for, you know, months on end. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's, we really got to get better at figuring out what is the balance of right. the technology in the classroom. So, Jennifer, thank you very much. And thank uh, you. thanks for your time. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu.